Good morning and welcome to Current Radio. It's Saturday, January 13th. Today we'll be discussing what to expect in the 2024 Iowa caucuses and DeSantis' upcoming participation in a CNN town hall in New Hampshire. Plus, we'll cover Biden's visit to Pennsylvania stores to discuss his record on small business creation and the ongoing search for two U.S. Navy sailors missing off the coast of Somalia. This coverage and more, up next. Welcome to Current Radio's Politics Station. Please enjoy today's selection of political news. The Republican candidates vying to unseat President Joe Biden will face their first formal test at the Iowa caucuses on Monday. The stakes are high, with Iowa's 40 delegates to the Republican National Convention up for grabs. Abby, can you give us some insight into the dynamics of this race? Certainly, Michael. The Iowa caucuses are a critical first step in the presidential primary season. Former President Donald Trump is currently leading in the polls, with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley in a tight race for second place. A strong performance in Iowa could establish them as the leading alternative to Trump. How does the caucus process work, Abby, and how does it differ from a traditional primary? In the Republican caucus process, voters cast a ballot for their preferred candidate, and those votes are tallied. There is no formation of groups or elimination of candidates who don't reach a certain percentage of the vote, unlike the Democratic caucuses. The results will determine how many of Iowa's 40 Republican National Convention delegates each candidate has won, with delegates allocated in direct proportion to their share of the statewide vote. Trump placed second in the 2016 Republican caucuses, receiving 24 percent of the vote compared to 28 percent for Senator Ted Cruz of Texas. How do you think this history might impact the upcoming caucuses? Trump's performance in 2016 could indeed play a role in the upcoming caucuses. While he did not win the caucus, he did carry 37 of the state's 99 counties. If Trump can win over Republicans who didn't support him in 2016, particularly in the state's metropolitan areas where he fared the worst, it could be a strong indication of his consolidated support among the party establishment. What are some factors that could influence the outcome of the caucuses? There are several factors that could influence the outcome. One is voter turnout. The last contested GOP caucuses in 2016 had the highest turnout in the event's history, with about 29% of registered Republicans at the time. Another factor could be severe weather, which may impact voter turnout. Finally, the caucus-goers' perceptions of the candidates and their policies will undoubtedly play a significant role. Well, it's going to be an interesting race to watch. Thanks for the insights, Abby. Now let's turn to Republican presidential candidate Ron DeSantis, who is set to participate in a live CNN town hall in New Hampshire. Abby, our political correspondent, is here to provide some context. Abby, what can we expect from this town hall? Thanks, Michael. This town hall is a significant opportunity for DeSantis to engage directly with New Hampshire voters ahead of the state's first-in-the-nation primary. He'll be fielding questions from CNN's Wolf Blitzer and an audience of voters who intend to vote in the Republican primary. This town hall is part of a series by CNN focusing on Republican presidential candidates for the 2024 cycle. How does this fit into the broader political landscape? It's a crucial platform for candidates to articulate their policy positions and connect with voters. It comes at a critical time, a day after Iowa's pivotal caucuses and a week before New Hampshire's primary. 
These events often set the tone for the rest of the campaign, so a strong performance can be a significant boost. DeSantis seems to be positioning himself as an alternative to former President Donald Trump. Can you elaborate on this dynamic? Absolutely. DeSantis, the current Florida governor, and Nikki Haley, the former South Carolina governor, are both seen as potential alternatives to Trump within the Republican Party. They've been vying for this position, and this town hall could be a chance for DeSantis to distinguish himself further. What's the significance of DeSantis traveling to South Carolina, Haley's home state, before heading to New Hampshire? It's a strategic move. By visiting South Carolina, DeSantis is likely trying to make inroads with Haley's base and broaden his own support. It's a common tactic in politics, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. It certainly will be. Thanks for your insights, Abby. We'll be keeping a close eye on this town hall and the impact it may have on the 2024 Republican presidential race. In other news, President Joe Biden recently took a detour from his usual routine, engaging in retail politics in Pennsylvania. Let's bring in our political correspondent, Abby, to shed some light on this. Abby, what was the president's agenda during this visit? Thanks, Michael. President Biden's visit to Pennsylvania was a clear departure from his usual set speeches. He visited a running shoe store, a bicycle shop, and a coffee house in Emmaus, Pennsylvania. The president used this opportunity to stress the value of small businesses and discuss his economic record. So what was the message that Biden was trying to convey here? The president's message was clear. He believes his administration has been better for small businesses than his predecessors. He highlighted that there have been 16 million applications to start new businesses during the first three years of his presidency, a record number. He also pointed out that consumer sentiment is improving as inflation recedes. That's interesting. But why Pennsylvania? Is there a specific reason why he chose this state for his retail politics tour? Absolutely, Michael. Pennsylvania is a crucial state for Biden. He won the surrounding Lehigh County with 53.2% of the vote in 2020, which helped him secure a victory in Pennsylvania and ultimately the White House. It's a state that he will likely need again this year to win re-election. So it seems like Biden is already in campaign mode. But what about the national security questions that were asked during his visit? How did he handle those? The president did face national security questions from reporters. He addressed concerns about a missile strike on Houthis, who have attacked ships in the Red Sea, stating that the United States and its allies were not in a proxy war with Iran. He also expressed concern about the risk of these attacks increasing oil prices. It seems like a lot was covered during this visit. Thanks for the insights, Abby. Now let's shift our focus to a recent statement from the U.S. Central Command reporting two U.S. Navy sailors missing during operations off the coast of Somalia. Abby, our military correspondent, is here to shed some light on this situation. Abby, what can you tell us about these missing sailors? Michael, the details are still quite sparse. The Central Command has not released much information about the circumstances under which these sailors went missing. What we do know is that they were forward deployed to the U.S. Navy's 5th Fleet Area of Operations, which covers the Middle East and parts of the Indian Ocean. Can you tell us more about the kind of operations the U.S. Navy conducts in this region? Certainly, Michael. The 5th Fleet's area of operations is quite vast, covering about 2.5 million square miles of water area and includes 20 countries. The operations conducted in this area are diverse, ranging from ensuring maritime security to conducting strikes against extremist groups. 
In the case of Somalia, the U.S. has a small military presence primarily focused on the threat of the Al-Shabaab militant group. Al-Shabaab, that's an extremist Islamist organization, correct? What is the current state of this group? Yes, that's correct. Al-Shabaab is recognized by the U.S. as a terrorist organization. It's been responsible for numerous attacks against the Somali government and has posed a significant threat to the region. According to the U.S. Africa Command, Al-Shabaab is currently the largest and most active Al-Qaeda network in the world, and it has demonstrated both the will and capability to attack U.S. forces and threaten U.S. security interests. So the U.S. military presence in Somalia is primarily to counter this threat? Yes, that's right. The U.S. military not only trains Somali forces to counter this threat, but also coordinates with the Somali government to carry out strikes against al-Shabaab. However, the situation is complex, and the threat from al-Shabaab is just one of the many challenges facing Somalia. It's indeed a complex situation. We'll keep our listeners updated as more information becomes available. Thanks for the insights, Abby. Now, as we wrap up our stories for today, we want to thank you for listening to Current Radio and look forward to having you back here tomorrow.